Good morning, everyone. Could you turn your Bibles to Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 1? Thank you, Bert. Thank you, Mary, for an excellent job as always. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 1. Today, as you can see on the board in the first session, we'll be looking at uh, continuing our study of uh, God's response to Habakkuk's uh, complaint about God choosing the Babylonians to discipline uh, the apostate citizens of the southern kingdom of Judah. So today we're looking at uh, continuing our study of verse ch uh, chapter 2 by noting verse 13 and 14 today. And in the first session we'll be seeing uh, that the Lord uh, ruling over the armies will judge the nations. And it's quite interesting that all of a sudden he stops not just talking about Babylon here, he's going to start talking about all the nations. So this has uh, prophetic implications as we, as we uh, uh, will see. And then in the uh, second uh, lesson, on the second session, we'll be looking at Habakkuk 2.14, as I said. And uh, that passage teaches us that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. That's speaking of the millennial reign, people. So we'll be, t uh, and that's, uh, that should be a, a fun class, as, long as, as, as well as this one. So uh, also remember, we have the Lord's Supper. Uh, we have the uh, observing the communion elements at the end of the second session. And also remember, we have uh, corporate prayer meetings at the, the last uh, Wednesday of uh, each month, so this, that falls on the 29th. And uh, so uh, I think that's about it for the announcements. All right, let's take a moment of silent prayer. This is our custom. We take this moment of silent prayer to examine ourselves, to determine if we're in fellowship with God. Remember, the Holy Spirit is speaking, us, uh, speaking to us through the scriptures which he's inspired, and if we're out of fellowship because of any mental, verbal, overactive sin, we might understand it academically, but we're not going to be able to understand the spiritual phenomena that it is. So that's why, the only reason why we, we can understand the Word of God and the unbeliever doesn't is because we have the Spirit permanently indwelling our bodies. He's our advocate as well, and also our paraclete, our uh, encourager, the, uh, our uh, mentor and teacher. So uh, for the absent Christ who sits at the right hand of the Father. Remember, the Holy Spirit also mediates the person of Jesus Christ, and he's trying to do that in our lives, but if we're, not, uh, if we're out of fellowship for any reason, uh, then we're, qu we're quenching the Spirit, uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, uh, 18, 19 talks about that. And then we're also grieving the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 4, 30. And so uh, what uh, we need to do is, if, if necessary, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins to the Father, He, God, the Father, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. In other words, He purifies us from each and every wrongdoing. So that just restores us to fellowship. Now we need to maintain that fellowship by obeying the Spirit who speaks to us through the teaching, uh, teaching of the Word of God, which He's inspired, as I said before. And that's when we're obeying those commands of Ephesians 5.18 and Colossians 3.16, to be filled with the Spirit and letting the Word of Christ richly dwell in our souls, respectively. They both bear the same results, and well, they should, because, again, the Holy Spirit is, uh, is, is inspired the Scriptures. And so what Paul does in Ephesians, he emphasizes... Actually, not just the Ephesian Christian community, but all the Christian communities in the Roman province of Asia, because it's a circular letter, that the, he's emphasizing the importance of uh, the ministry of the Holy Spirit in relation, in relation to our fellowship. And then in, with the Colossians, he's emphasizing uh, the importance of the Word of God in relation to the Colossian Christian community. So with that in mind, if there's anything that's bothering you, disturbing and distracting to you, do what 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast all your anxieties upon the Lord because he cares for you. So with that in mind, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, let us pray.
Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for another morning that you've given to us, another day to experience creation and also fellowship with you, your Son, and the Holy Spirit and other like-minded believers. We thank you for all your children that are assembled here today in this chapel. We thank you for each and every one of them. We also thank you for this building to meet in, and we thank you, Father, for the logistical grace blessings that you've given to us for another day, the food, shelter, clothing. We thank you for the homes that we have, our families, our children, our, wives, our spouses. Uh, we just thank you, Father, for the, the country that we live in, the freedoms that we have in this country. We thank you for our leaders, whether they're political or military, military leaders. I just thank you for each and every one of them and give them the moral wisdom and the moral courage to lead this country. I also uh, pray that you would empower, uh, impress upon your people in the church uh, to pray for their leaders, since they're under the deception of Satan and his kingdom, they're under his authority. So we need to pray for them because you desire all people to be saved. And also, you want us to live a tranquil, quiet life. We need to pray for our leaders, whether they're in the executive, judicial, legislative branches of our federal, state, and local governments. So I just uh, pray, Father, also. I thank you, Father, for also for the great blessings that we have because of our union identification with your son. It's amazing, Father, that you've taken us sinners who are enemies of yours, and uh, you just uh, saved us based, on, uh, based upon the merits of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and what he did for us, and also that you raised us up, Father, and seated us at your right hand as part of the new humanity that will rule over this earth at, during the millennial reign of your son, Jesus Christ. And we just pray, Father, that the Holy Spirit would uh, help your people in this ministry uh, to understand the great power and love that has been directed toward them through their union identification with your son. And I just pray, Father, that it would continue to transform their lives more and more into the image of your son, Jesus Christ. And Heavenly Father, I pray for this study in Habakkuk. I pray, Father, that you help us today in uh, studying this book that goes back centuries to the 7th century B.C., Father. We just thank you for this book that you've given to us, and I pray the Spirit would do a mighty work through all of us here this morning. I pray that the Spirit help each person in the audience to understand what's being taught, to concentrate, and to carefully consider the passages and principles that we'll be noting here today in uh, both sessions and for the, for the purpose of personal application. And we know that your word is there for our spiritual food so we can grow with respect to our salvation. I also pray, Father, that you would help me, and I thank you for the great honor and privilege that you've given me to uh, communicate your word in the presence of the angels in heaven and in the presence of your people who you purchased with the blood of your son, Jesus Christ, at Calvary. So I take this very seriously, Father, and I just pray that you'd help me to deliver the message by the power of the Spirit in a fashion that's pleasing to you, that is with reverence and respect and power. And I just pray, Father, that as a result, your people would receive the word of God, uh, pure and unadulterated, and that it would ca cause them to continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of our great God and Savior, your Son, Jesus Christ. So we pray for this in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ's name, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Amen. You should be at Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 1. Let's read the whole chapter, and then we'll look at verse 13 uh, here in the first session. It says in Habakkuk 2, 1, Habakkuk says, I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me. And what answer I'm to give to this complaint. Now remember, in the first chapter, he's responding to God's choice of the Babylonians as 
being the instrument of disciplining the citizens of the southern kingdom of Judah that were in apostasy. Remember, he brings, he opens the book, this dialogue with God, which makes it a very unique book. He has this dialogue with God, and uh, he, uh, he complains about the apostasy of his own people who were in a covenant relationship with God. They were believers. And of course, there were, some, there were some, of course, that were non-believers. So he's very upset about the behavior, which is indistinguishable from the other pagan Gentile nations of the world. Remember, in 722 BC, a little over 100 years, over 100 years before, God took out the, the northern kingdom uh, with the Assyrian Empire as his instrument of judgment. That just left the southern kingdom of Judah, which was the tribes of Judah and Benjamin. And so they go into apostasy. There was only a small remnant that believed in, uh, that were faithful to God and, and as his covenant people in the southern kingdom of Judah. So then we have God saying in verses 5 through 11 of chapter 1 that I'm using the Babylonians to, uh, to, to uh, discipline your people. And so Habakkuk is taken back by that because these were pagan idolaters who are not in a covenant relationship with God. You're going to use them to do this. And of course, Habakkuk really should have known that God does this because uh, the, the law says this in Deuteronomy 28, 29, 30. You want to know the history of the Jews and what's going on today? There it is. And so they rejected the Lord and back in that day, the majority. And so God used foreign evil nations to discipline them who were involved in evil. His own people were involved in evil. So God uses evil to destroy evil. And so we saw that, uh, that uh, then we have uh, in, in verses 12 through 17, we have Habakkuk saying, I don't like the choice of the Babylonians. And so we got a great amount, a lot of descriptions of the Babylonians who are involved in imperialistic greed. They, nobody had ever seen the likes of them in the history of the world, especially in military uh, exploits. Uh, the Babylon went a thousand miles uh, to come down to the Mediterranean region of the world to destroy uh, Judah and uh, you know the tribes, the southern kingdom of Judah and the city of Jerusalem and these other nations that were in the Mediterranean part of that world, Mediterranean regions of that world uh, where Israel is. So this was very, this was astounding what they did, and they were involved in total warfare. As we've been pointing out, uh, they, they we call collateral damage where civilians get killed or injured. They didn't care about that. They did not care about that. And so they were individuals, really, I would think, as you know, people talk about total war, it didn't come around until modern times, baloney. Uh, there was total war back in Babylon. Uh, I would beg to differ with, with uh, some people. So then we get to chapter 2, and then we have Habakkuk saying in verse 1 here, he's waiting for God's response to his complaint. So then we have the Lord's response, which will please uh, uh, Habakkuk and this, the southern kingdom of Judah as well. Verse 2 says, Then the Lord replied, Write down the revelation, make it plain on tablets, so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end, and it will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it, for it will certainly come and will not delay. Remember, God's, God's uh, timing he's talking about. And actually, this would be fulfilled, this prophecy against Babylon. It would be fulfilled, and 66 years later, with the Medo Persian Empire and her satellites, her, a coalition of nations, uh, defeated Babylon and absorbed Babylon and its elements into it, its empire. So then we have verse 4, God's going to describe the Babylonians even further for us. See, he, the Babylonian, is puffed up. His desires are not upright, but the righteous, that talks about back then a believer and the covenant relationship with God, that would be like Habakkuk, the righteous will live by his faith, faith in what God's word says. 
says. And of course, this is quoted in the New Testament by Paul in Romans 1.17, Galatians 3.13, and Hebrews. It's found as well. And we're to live by faith in the Word of God. We are righteous. Remember the doctrine of justification at the moment of, uh, of our just uh, salvation when we first trusted in Jesus. The Father imputed His Son or credited His Son's righteousness to you and I. And He saw that and He declared us justified, righteous as He is. And it's not because of anything we did, it's because of who his son is. So he looks at us as he looks at his son. So then it says in verse 5, Indeed, wine betrays him. He is arrogant and never at rest, because he is as greedy as the grave, and like death is never satisfied. He gathers to himself all the nations and takes captive all the peoples. Uh, when he talks about wine, he's not saying they were alcoholics, though I'm sure many were, but he's actually in context. If you look after the first statement there in verse 5, as we pointed out, He's involved in imperialistic greed. And empire after empire after empire after empire is followed the track of Babylon is, and, and up to our present moment. So then it says, verse 6, Will not all of them, those they Babylon conquered, taunt him, the Babylonian, with ridicule and scorn, saying, Woe to him who piles up stolen goods and makes himself wealthy by extortion. How long must this go on? Remember the word woe there, hoy in the Hebrew. It actually means disaster. So this is a sudden catastrophic disaster would take place to the, for the Babylonians. Five of these are found in chapter 2. So then it says in verse 7, Will not your debtors suddenly arise, Babylon? Will they not wake up and make you tremble? Then you will become their victim. Why? Because you have plundered many nations. See their imperialistic greed? The peoples who are left will plunder you. For the, you have shed man's blood and you have destroyed lands and cities and everyone in them. As we've been pointing out, this is the law of retribution. You heard what comes around goes around? Well, this is what God's saying here. Uh, the punishment will fit their crimes. That's what lex teleonis is. That's what uh, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth is. It's, that simply means that you know, the punishment must fit the crime. And we see that with capital punishment. I heard they just, the police officer got killed not too long ago, saw it in the paper, Alabama papers, and they gave him the death penalty. <laughs> Finally. That should be all over this country. We could, we could have a great deterrent for crime in this country. We just do what God tells us to do. That's the government's job is to do that. So kudos for sentencing the guy after he's been condemned to death by a jury of his peers. He murders a police officer. Okay, so uh, he's going to get the he's going to be executed the death penalty, and I'm sure you'll have all the all the uh, when I say um, you know the bleeding hearts out there crying about this. Well, they are totally devoid of knowledge of the Word of God. Of course, they're going to think that they've been deceived by the devil. God would like to see devil the devil would like to see this country totally get rid of it, so that crime will just be rampant in this country, and we can't hate we can't lock, we have to lock our doors. We have to have car alarms, security alarms, alarms, and all that stuff. And we, have, we can't even let our daughters walk the street at night alone with their girlfriends or something, afraid of getting raped, even your sons. I mean, this is just a terrible place that we live in now, with this, this everybody looking over their shows and, and having to pack something, uh, some firearms just to protect themselves. If you, had, if you had capital punishment, I'm not saying that would do away with all crime, but it would definitely deal with the capital crimes. And I think drug dealers who's stealing stuff uh, to uh, children are getting, uh, dying and people who are destroying their lives through drug abuse, those people are murderers too because they're giving people things that are killing them. And so good for, good for Alabama to do that. So it says in verse 9, Woe to him who builds his realm, the Babylonian, by unjust gain, to set his nest on high, to escape the clutches of ruin. 
You have plotted the ruin of many peoples, slamming your own house and forfeiting your life. The stones of the wall will cry out and the beams of the woodwork will echo it. Woe to him who builds the city by bloodshed and establishes a town by crime. Has not the Lord Almighty determined that the people's labor is only fuel for the fire? That the nations exhaust themselves for nothing? Now, here's interesting. We're going to be talking about this. All of a sudden, he's talking about the nations here. He went from Babylon to talking about not only Babylon, but all the nations. Then he says, the reason for this is for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. As we pointed out, as, as we will point out, God is going to judge the nations, the nations that we have today, He's going to judge them who are under the deception of Satan and enslaved to sin and Satan in this cosmic system. He's going to judge them because he's going to bring in the kingdom on earth. This is what he's saying here. Verse 15, woe to him. Here we go, another woe. Woe to the Babylonian, disaster to him, who gives drink to his neighbors, pouring it from the wineskin till they're drunk so that he can gaze on their naked bodies. This talks about the way they treated their captives. And then he says in verse 16, you will be filled with the shame instead of glory. Now it is your turn. Lex Talionis, the punishment will fit the crime. Your crimes, drink and be exposed. What cup is he talking about? The cup of wrath. God's righteous indignation to sin. The cup from the Lord's right hand that speaks of his omnipotence is coming around to you, Babylon, and disgrace will cover your glory. This should cause every nation on the face of the earth, including our own, to shudder. Look what God's saying. Look at history. It proves the Bible is true. It proves that the Bible's true. Look at God dealing with the nations throughout history. Up to our present time, he's going to deal with everyone on the face of the earth, including our own. So we better wise up. Verse 17, the violence you've done to Lebanon will overwhelm you and your destruction of animals will terrify you. For you have shed man's blood. You have destroyed lands and cities and everyone in them. Again, plundering the resources of each nation. They were incredible. Now we talk about their idolatry to end the chapter. Of what value is an idol since a man has carved it or an image that teaches lies? For he who makes it trusts in his own creation. He makes idols who cannot speak. Woe to him who says to wood, come to life, or to lifeless stone, wake up. Can it give guidance? It is covered with gold and silver. There's no breath in it. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. My translation of verse 13. Behold, does it not in fact originate from the decree of the Lord ruling over the armies that the peoples are working hard in exchange for the fire of God's judgment so that the nations are exhausting themselves for absolutely nothing? Look at all the nations in history. Assyria, Babylon, Medo Persia, Alexander's Greece, the empire of Greece that were divvied up by his generals after his death, the Roman Empire. Look at Britain. Look at Spain. Look at Germany. Look at them all. Russia. God is, is, is angry with the nations. He has righteous indignation. That means he's justified in his anger toward the nations. They reject him. They're under the deception of Satan. And what great miracle God's doing using us, the church, to do what he did for us to other people in the church, which is to call out to call out from all the nations, these people that are deceived by sin and Satan among all these nations, ethnicities, language groups, and make them a part of the bride of Christ. That's the great story of the first two chapters of Ephesians. 
You and I, Gentiles, are now members of the body of Christ because God called us out of this deception, this world's deception that's un, that the whole world is under. Every, it's, it permeates our whole life and the media, colleges, universities, sports, job, businesses, everywhere, everywhere you go, Wall Street. It, the whole satanic system is opposed to Jesus Christ. It's opposed to the Bible. And here you and I are right in the middle of it. And we used to be part of that. Slaves to it. Not anymore. So God, yes, he's angry with the nations. But he also is a God of compassion. And this is why he sent his son to the cross of Calvary. We're going to observe that today at the end of, at the end of service. Bringing to remembrance the great sacrifice that Jesus performed for us where he, uh, he suffered the wrath of God in our place so that we wouldn't suffer it for all, for all of eternity like a fire and he did this for every person on the face of the earth past, present, future Jew, Gentile, slave and free male, female, black, white doesn't matter what you are gay, lesbian, adulterer murderer he did it for everyone so yes God is angry but God did something about his anger, and he was propitiated when his son suffered the wrath of God in our place for every nation, every person in every, of every nation in history, past, present, and future. And all you have to do is trust in Jesus as Savior. It's a gift salvation. You don't earn or deserve it. So you have to take this in balance, okay? God wants people to avoid his wrath. That's why we know that because of what he did for his son. So when people go to the lake of fire, hell, it's not because God wants them to go there. They're choosing to go there themselves. Why would they do such a thing? We talk about that because we have the spirit. Because they were like their father, the devil. John 8, 44. They don't want their sin. They, 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 like to, they don't want to be accountable. Of course, they're going to be. And they like to do what they do. I don't want anybody to tell me. I'm going to do my own thing. I want to live independently of God, which is exactly the sin of the devil. I will. I will. I will, I will, I will. The five I wills of Isaiah 14, 12 to 14. So we need to keep this in mind that God desires all people to be saved and come to an experiential knowledge of the truth. Yes, he's a God of judgment and he will judge, but he's also a God of love. So there's a balance here. So we see that the Lord God of Israel in Habakkuk 2.13 is continuing his response to Habakkuk's argument against his choice of the Babylonians to discipline the apostate citizens of the southern kingdom of Judah, and which argument, as we pointed out, is recorded in verses 12 through 17 of chapter 1. Now, this response began in verse 2, which we just read, and it ends in verse 20. Habakkuk 2, verses 2 through 20, is presenting the Lord's decision to judge the Babylonians in the future for their unrepentant, sinful behavior. Specifically, he's judging them because of their evil treatment of those nations they conquered in the Mediterranean and Mesopotamian regions of the world at the end of the 7th century B.C. and at the beginning of the 6th century B.C. You hear it said, Jesus said, treat others the way you'd want to be treated, right? That's the, what are nations composed of? People, okay? So the nations are held accountable, are held accountable, their leaders are, and their people are. So nations, like people, are to treat other nations the way they'd want to be treated. And we've been guilty about in our country. We've done good things. We've done a lot of good things. We've done a lot of bad things. We all know that. Okay? So what are we gonna so what we can do for our nation is pray for our nation and to grow to spiritual maturity, 
okay? If you're not in the military or some paramilitary organization or something, something that would help this country, serve the country, or you're retired, the best thing you can do now is grow to spiritual maturity, become like Jesus Christ. What was the greatest thing that ever happened to the Roman Empire was you had the church emerged out of the Roman Empire, and it's one of the reasons why the Roman Empire lasted a thousand years and wasn't destroyed after 200 years like Medo-Persia was, or after 66 years like Babylon or Alexander's Greece. Why did they go on a little further? Because they had a great Christian presence in the Roman Empire, led by the apostles and then the, the apostolic fathers that followed them. That's why Rome continued. That's why Rome, was, which was immersed in slavery, okay, and they had, it was driving their economy over 60 million slaves. Within a couple of centuries, the Christian gospel had circulated where slave masters were giving up their slaves and giving them their freedom without a war like we had. So here we are. We have God is dealing with Babylon now. And it's interesting. Babylon has just gotten going. It's just got going. They just conquered Egypt and Carchemish, which is in, 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 near Lebanon. Above, above Israel. So actually what Babylon is going to do has not yet come, come to pass. So God's telling tell, tell them through Habakkuk, I'm going to judge them before they really have done all that they're going to do. And we see this with Jeremiah does the same in Jeremiah 51, that enormous chapter. So Habakkuk 2.13 contains actually a solemn rhetorical question that demands an emphatic positive response from the prophet Habakkuk and the faithful remnant of Judah. As we can see, he, the Lord says, and this is from my translation, and it's very close to what you see in the, in the NIV, does it not in fact originate from the decree of the Lord ruling over the armies that the peoples are working hard in exchange for fire so that the nations are exhausting themselves for absolutely nothing, as it says in verse 13 uh, in your translations of Habakkuk chapter 2, has not the Lord Almighty determined that the people's labor is only fuel for the fire, that the nations exhaust themselves for nothing? Yes. Think about that. All the things that the nations, including our own, are striving for are just dust in the wind. Really? What are they, do what are they doing? They live independently of Jesus Christ. They can't, nothing, I mean, our country is so far gone from following the Bible and Jesus. I mean, it's like the great apostasy and the, the, the negative volition in the country is at an all-time high because the country started sympathetic to Christianity. In fact, the, the, the survivors of the Reformation, they all came over here to escape, escape the persecution of the Roman Catholic Church, the state-run churches. They came here. And that's one of the reasons you look at, the, you look at uh, our Constitution, our Bill of Rights, and your freedom of assembly. Oh, isn't it interesting to use the COVID thing so we're not going to have people at churches assemble? Baloney. Where do they get off on doing that? That's unconstitutional. But they tried. And by the way, I know people, churches that were attacked by the towns and they, when they saw a group comes in that, that was uh, helping these churches, those towns backed off right away. Soon as they started saying that, I said to my brother Chris, I said, they do that? You know how many lawsuits they're gonna be? That's breaking the Constitution. That's, don't anybody know that? You can't tell nations to uh, cause churches not to assemble. That would be sin for us not to assemble. assemble. Now, if you felt, you felt afraid by the COVID thing, then you, obviously you can stay home. 
you know, that you felt threatened by that. But it, you shouldn't take that uh, option away from anybody. It's in our Constitution, the Bill of Rights. Come on. Well, they tried, and that's not just, that's just the beginning, people. Okay? And so we see that the Lord here, he said, all the nations are doing things that are independently of Jesus Christ. They care not about the Bible, including our own. They care not what God wants. They're doing their bidding of their father, the devil, and who's, who's enslaving them. So it says, has not the Lord Almighty determined that the people's labor is only fuel for the fire, that the nations exhaust themselves for nothing? The reference to fire is figurative language for God's judgment. It's the judgment of God. And judgment of God is, un people don't like to hear about it. Of course. Of course they're not going to want to hear about it. But it, you got to say this. It, the gospel means good news. Euangelion. It's, what's the good news? If you don't realize that you're under the judgment of God, the wrath of God, what good is the gospel? I don't need it. I'm not, what do I need to be saved from? You have to be saved from the wrath of God. That's why. That's the whole point. Look at Romans. Look at Paul's argument. The first three chapters, both Jew and Gentile are guilty before us, a holy God. They're in need of the righteousness of God. And then he says, at the, at the, from the halfway point of Romans 3, 3.19, to the end of the chapter, that you avoid the wrath of God through faith in Jesus Christ, not by keeping the works of the law, not by your own meritorious actions and obedience to the law, but by merits of the object of your faith, Jesus Christ, and his death on the cross. So the gospel is good news, but if they don't know the bad news, this unsaved, they ain't going to see their need. Okay? So we see that this word fire means judgment. It's, it's metaphorical language, figurative language for God's judgment. So therefore, this indicates, people, that this, this, therefore this rhetorical question that we see in verse 13 is emphatically, if you turn it around and make it an emphatic assertion, it's emphatically asserting that the Lord ruling over the armies, and that's, as we'll see, the Lord Almighty, your expression there in your NIV, I translate it, the Lord ruling over the armies, and I'll, I'll give you a quote from different scholars. That a lot of people agree with me on this, and we're going to get a quote from Kenneth Barker, who will give you, uh, says it better than I could as to why we should translate it, the Lord ruling over the armies. The King James used to translate it, the Lord of hosts, and hosts meant in English, Old English, armies. Okay, so therefore, this rhetorical question is emphatically asserting that the Lord ruling over the armies has sovereignly decreed that the peoples of the earth are working hard in exchange for the fire of God's judgment so that the nations are exhausting themselves for absolutely nothing. Vanity of vanities. The whole book of Ecclesiastes is like that. So therefore, we see the masculine, or the, when you look at the word for peoples there, if you look at uh, in, uh, in Habakkuk 2.13 in your Bibles, has not the Lord Almighty determined that the people's labor is only fuel for the fire, that the nations exhaust themselves for nothing? Now, the word for peoples there is, back it up here, is am. It's in the masculine plural form in the Hebrew, and it refers, of course, to the Gentile peoples on planet Earth in the Mediterranean and Mesopotamian regions of the world and 605 B.C. and Habakkuk's day. But ultimately, it actually refers to the Gentile peoples throughout history. 
past, present, and future. Now the word die, which uh, you see in, your, it's, uh, in, in the Hebrew text of uh, Hebrew, Habakkuk 2.13, it means nothing in vain because the word is a marker of not having a proper result. And the, mask, the word for fire there is the word ash in the Hebrew, and it's used figuratively for the judgment of God. Now, the word die is the object of the preposition beh in Hebrew, which indicates the price for something. So this would indicate that this prepositional phrase indicates that the peoples of the earth work hard in exchange for God's judgment rather than reward from him. Okay, so their bad behavior, their godless behavior, is what they're going to get is God's judgment in exchange for what they're doing instead of reward. So within, within this uh, rhetorical question that we see in Habakkuk 2.13, we have a result clause, which presents the result of the rhetorical question. And it states that the nations are exhausting themselves in exchange for absolutely nothing. So therefore, this would indicate that the nations of the earth exhausting themselves for absolutely nothing is the direct result of the peoples of these nations working hard for the fire of God's judgment. The word for nations there, it's a leom. And this word leom, it's in the masculine plural form. It, again, is referring to these Gentile nations in Habakkuk's day, but it's also, again, referring to the nations, uh, the Gentile nations throughout history, past, present, and future. As we'll see, he's, he's actually, God's pre presenting a principle of how he deals with the nations. They're going to do this, this is what I'm going to do. They're working in vain for things that it had nothing to do with my agenda. They had their own agenda, which is actually the devil's agenda, okay? And this is what they're going to get, okay? This is what, how I'm going to deal with them. So we have, again, that word die there in the, in the Hebrew, and it also appears in this result clause, and it means nothing in vain because the word is a marker of not having a proper result. And it's also the preposition, we have the, the, the noun reek there, which also means absolutely nothing, since the word pertains to the state of containing absolutely nothing. And so, therefore, this prepositional phrase indicates that the nations of the earth are exhausting themselves for absolutely nothing by working hard in exchange for God's judgment rather than a reward from him. Little did they know that all that they do, independently of Jesus Christ, and by the way, remember what evil is. Before the devil ever did anything, what was his sin? Evil is independence from God. In particular, independence from God's will. Satan wants a rival kingdom. He thinks he can have one legitimately. God says, you can try, but guess what? It ain't going to work. Because I'm going to, I have a, I'm, I'm running the household. I created everybody. And I have, I have holy standards. Okay? So we see that the world in which we live in is living independently of Jesus Christ. Even if you did good things for people, like you build a cancer hospital or you help a little old lady across the street or whatever you're doing that's good, you know, helping people out. But if your motivation, what's your motivation for doing it? See, God says you should love one another as I have loved you. Love your neighbor as yourself, okay? Your motivation, we are, if we're going to get rewards for the things that we do, produce divine good, we must obey. Our motivation for doing anything in life, giving, serving, anything in the church should be motivated by what the Spirit's teaching us in the Scripture, we're helping our brother and sister in Christ because God said, love, your, love what you love your fellow believer as I have loved you. Okay? Now, the, the people of the world, they don't, they don't care what the Holy Spirit said. They don't care what the Bible says. So what is their motivation for doing what they're doing? It's not what the Spirit's teaching. 
And this, therefore, it's not what Jesus wants and not what the Father wants. So this is, again, why the world and our country is in a, dis a dis disaster. We're headed for disaster like this. And I'm not trying to do that to get, to get everybody all, you know, to, 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 you know, to try to shock people. It's the truth. This is what this book is telling us. Look what's going on in our country. Look at the, uh, Russia, China. We're all headed for disaster. And you might say, well, geez, wh why do I have to suffer along with this? Okay, here's the beauty of God's plan. You see Habakkuk, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, they were all believers, faithful believers in the southern kingdom of Judah. So they suffered by association, but what the difference with them, when they suffered, they suffered for blessing. God took care of them in the midst of an evil empire. Look at the story of Daniel and his three friends. The book of Daniel teaches us that. The book of Jeremiah teaches us that. Ezekiel. So God will take care of us if anything happens to the nation. If he decides to do whatever he does, decide to do with it. Now, that could go on for a long time. He could raise up uh, a more of a, a pivot or a remnant of believers in the church that'll make a bigger impact on this country and uh, cause God to avoid, uh, suspend his judgment of the nation. But we're heading in the wrong direction. We all know that. Even the people of the country who are not Christians and not believers, they sense there's something wrong. Yeah, there's a lot wrong. Nobody trusts their leaders anymore. Nobody. And if you have that situation going on, it's a disaster. Now you say, what about my kids? As if God won't take care of your kids? Raise your kids up in the ways of the Lord. He'll take care of you, he'll take care of your kids. Daniel and his friends were young kids. They were, they were probably late teens, maybe early 20s. They were young people. So... You see that, uh, and, and if you notice again, in Habakkuk 2.13, as we looked at that text, the Lord is not describing the Babylonian army alone. I pointed out this earlier. But rather all the nations and the peoples who follow their, the Babylonian's example of cruel, evil, imperialistic behavior. In other words, the Lord is saying that any nation or people that behaves in the manner that Babylon behaves will face the fire of God's judgment. And consequently, all their efforts and accomplishments as a people and nation are in vain. In fact, this is true of any nation in history, past, present, and future, that it is true of all generations. Old Palmer Robertson, a great commentator uh, in, in, the, uh, in Habakkuk, he says the following, although directed specifically to Babylon, this text, Habakkuk 2.13, includes nations and peoples of all generations. Fire from the Lord consumed the debauched luxury of the cities of the plain. Sodom and Gomorrah, Genesis 19.14. He then says, God went before Israel as a consuming fire, destroying all its enemies. Deuteronomy 9.3. Those Canaanite peoples that were Israel dispossessed. And then he says, even the nation, privileged to be called by God's own name, Israel, in its turn had its cities burned in the fire for persisting in disobedience. So the Lord shall come with fire at the last judgment, utterly destroying all his enemies. Isaiah 66, 15, 2 Peter 3, 10. He gives documentation. And then finally he says this, every human culture in its turn prides itself in achievements won by discipline, devotion, and hard labor. But in the end, the rotten core of violence done against other human beings, 
ironically for the sake of achieving humanistic goals, shall be exposed and the whole of the corrupted metropolis destroyed, end of quote. Now, in Habakkuk, chapter 2, verse 13, you have that expression, the Lord Almighty. In the Hebrew, it's Savaot, it's Adonai Savaot. The, uh, you can say Yahweh, but the Jews changed it. Instead of using the, the covenant name of God, they will not express it. They'll say Adonai in place of it. And so that's the, called the sacred, sacred tetragrammaton. So Adonai Savaot. And I translate the decree of the Lord ruling over the armies, and it contains a strong association with military action. It has a strong association with military action. And this is indicated by the fact that the, the word for Lord there, Yahweh, Adonai, is the covenant-keeping personal name of God, and it's used here in connection with his covenant relationship with the nation of Israel and a particular remnant of Judah. Specifically, it's used in connection with Habakkuk's covenant relationship to God, and thus it expresses God's sovereignty over the nation of Judah, as well as Babylon, as well as the nations in the Mediterranean, Mesopotamian regions of the world in Habakkuk's day. Now this word, Yahweh, Lord, it has the figure of metonymy, which means the Lord is put for his sovereign decree. Also, the word Savah, which means armies, it, it, because it pertains to, in this context, to a military congregation as a large fighting or combat unit. The word denotes a large organized body of armed personnel trained for war, especially on land. And these armies refer to both human and angelic because we're speaking in the context of God. So therefore, people, the implication of the presence of this expression, Lord Almighty in your Bibles, or we could say the Lord, the decree of the Lord ruling over the armies, it, here, the implication here of the presence of this expression in Habakkuk 2.13, would be comforting to Habakkuk and the, the, and the faithful remnant of Judah. And it should be comforting to us because it indicates that the God of Israel is sovereign over all the nations of the world, including Babylon, and all the armies of heaven and of earth and are under the authority of the Lord for him to do as he desires, and he will do so by war and destruction. I, saw, I, I can't give... A, I will not be able to give to you that it's all going to be all wonderful in the next 10, 15 years. Okay? Who knows? The rapture, but if the rapture comes, then we're spared from the tribulation period. Okay? But what I need to tell you and warn you, and this should motivate us to evangelize and live the spiritual life, you know, love one another as I have loved you, and that by this all people will know you're my disciples. It's the best thing you could do for your children. It's the best thing you could do for country, your country is to grow up to spiritual maturity. Because a Christian believer, you know, in pray, corporate prayer, individual prayer, God moves through the prayers of his saints. And, you'll, and the prayers of the saints are only effective if they're according to the will of God. And if it's according to the will of God, that means you're teaching, you're, you're praying according to what the word of God says. Because the word of God, through the spirit, communicates the will of the Father. So all our prayers, corporate and individual, must be in agreement with that for them to be effective in solving problems in our lives has to be associated with doctrine. All the great prayer warriors are doctrinal. Okay, they know their Bible. So this is the greatest thing you could do for your country, your children, your homes, your schools. This is what's going to change the country. Because of all the, the gospel will, the race problems, the problems with our economy, the problems with the environment even. 
the problems between black and white, between all those problems we have, economic, sociological problems, whatever it is, it's all solved through the gospel because all these problems that are, are hurting our country and the rest of the world are because of sin. We are sinners by nature and practice, all of us in the human race. The devil, who live independently of God, has a, trying to have a rival kingdom and his cosmic system that which we're supposed to uh, reject, 1 John 2, 15 through 17. We're not to love the things of the world. We're not to be materialistic because, materialistic because it produces pride. And this is what's destroying the country. We've got too much, so, we have so much blessings since World War II. We're so spoiled, as you've heard me say. You all know it, and I've heard you say, yeah, you're right. It's, yeah, we are. We need a little humility. Those things came from God, and they can be taken away. And they will be taken away. Whether death, they'll be taken away from you, or you'll be taken away from them. One way or the other. So what is actually important is not transitory. What is important is eternal. What's going to be of value? The nations are working in vain, it says. They're working in vain. They're working for God's judgment, the fire of God's judgment. We are working for a reward at the payment seat. Everything that you do, as I said before, must be governed by what the Spirit's telling you in Scripture. Everything, whether you give, serve, pray, whatever you're doing, doesn't matter. Because that's going to produce divine good, we call it. That's intrinsically good. That is beneficial to other people and to God. It's about growing up and doing things God wants. God didn't save us on the basis of good works. He saved us for good works, it says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For good works. We should be producing good works because they're going to be rewarded the famous seed and they glorify God because when you do these good works, it's, you're manifesting the great power and love of God because he's the one who gave you the motivation and empowered you to do these things. And you're manifesting the presence of Christ when you do these things. Do you realize that? Someone, when you do something for anybody in the body of Christ and outside of the body of Christ, and it's motivated, motivated by the Holy Spirit, you're mediating the person of, of the Christ. You're showing them there is a God by your compassion, your forgiveness, your being a good listener. Okay? You know, I, I walk by this, I don't even know who this woman is. I don't know her name. I take a walk at, between my, uh, my breaks. When I take a break uh, around the afternoon, and I take a walk, two-mile walk, go downtown, circle around. And this woman, I, I've seen her since I've been here. She's got, you know, she obviously uh, has a cancer patient, you know, so she sits out on her porch and everything. And I, I, I say hi to her husband and, and her, and I wait to her, I said, you know, and I said, you know what, I'm going to tell her this. I said, hey, I'm praying for you. Okay? And I said, and I said, you know, I asked her how she's feeling, you know, because I just had a lot, lost a brother to cancer, right? So just think, you know, just think about it. You might think that's nothing, but it actually, she did. Now she's, when she walks by, she's, because it makes you, somebody cares, okay? People want to know that they're being cared for. That's why the best thing you can learn, first off as a Christian, is to learn to listen. It shows that you care. You know, we want people to come to the Savior, but you, you, we're, too, we're too quick to move, and we just want, every, we want everything right on, on our own timing. You know, it takes time to build relationships with people that trust you. Okay? So be a good listener. Okay? And show that you care. And in the church, show that you care. You know, there's a, there's a, there's a gentleman uh, called me up one day. He was concerned about this funny guy because I was in our church, and, I was like, and, I, and he called me up, and I said... I had the same concern about the same person, these two people in our church. 
He said, yeah, that would be a good idea. Check, check on. And he did. See, that, that guy gets it. You know, he knows, he knows, he's, he, we, you know, we are supposed to be a spiritual combat unit. We're to be looking, helping out each other. We're a family, too. There's many ways to describe the church, but we should look out for each other. You know, someone's going through something, we should all, when one weeps, we all weep. When one rejoices, we all rejoice. You know, we're, that's, that's the thing the world wants. Does anybody care? People don't think, young people, that, does anybody care about me? Does anybody know I exist? That's why I'll go, deliver, I'll go deliberately to somebody who's not going to be the most charismatic person. I like to go over to those people and talk to them. Now, if I come over to talk to you, you'd probably say, no, don't, don't give me that, Bill, you know, like I'm, good, I'm not more charismatic. No, I come over because I like you, okay? I'm in the body of Christ, but I'm talking to you in general. I feel bad for people because I know what it's like. You know, be isolated and not knowing anybody. You know, because I lived in Iowa and I, I, I was like a stranger. I lived even in my own church there. And many times I was like, because I was an outsider. Everybody knew each other. Everybody had families and everything. And I'm the only guy from Massachusetts who talks funny, you know. So I know what that's like. So I, want, I would like to, I would, I do it because I, God's taught me this. See, Bill, I showed you this in your life. Now you see, now you have empathy now for these people who don't have, you know, they might not be the most, uh, you know, a personable person. They're not to talk. They're very, you know, they, they might, they're a wallflower, as my parents used to say, okay? Maybe they're like that. You know, people want to know that they, that anybody cares, okay? And so that's what we need to, when we love one another, that's what we'll do. We'll do stuff. Look at Jesus. You know, the woman at the well, in John 4, the woman at the well, she had been married. She wasn't the most moral girl, okay? She had five different husbands, and the guy she was with, was li she was living with him, okay? And she's a Samaritan woman, and here comes a rabbi, a Jewish rabbi. Nobody taught, the Jews, rabbis never would talk to a Samaritan. A Jew would never talk to a Samaritan. And here he is talking to a Samaritan, a no-no for a Jew to do, because the racial prejudice, okay? It would be like, it'd be like, a, a, you know, a, 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 a black, a, a white, an African-American or a white guy going into an African-American neighborhood, you know, hanging out with a, with a you know, none of that back in the 1950s or something, or 60s. So they go out, so he goes in there and he's talking, he, rabbis don't talk to him. They used to walk on the other side of the street when a woman came by, not Jesus, he was radical. He was out to get the lost sheep. He took the time, and she was, she was by herself. She didn't go there when the rest of the girls were going for water. She went alone because she was off-scouring a society. That's, what the, that's why the gospel was so powerful. The slave, the dispossessed, the people who were with homeless, who were hungry, who were lepers. There were so many people, like it is today in the world, and Jesus reached out to that person. One person had a conversation with her, the incarnate Son of God. Next thing you know, she's saved and she's telling everybody in the town what happened. All it takes a little time. He's telling us, look what I did. I just took a little bit of time with that person. You never know. You never know what might happen. Little things like that change the world. It does. It changes the world. At least at the minimum, it changes the world of that person who's deceived by Satan in this cosmic system. So we see that the implication of the presence of the expression, Lord Almighty, Adonai Sabaoth, the decree of the Lord ruling over the armies, here in Habakkuk 2.13, indicates that the Lord God of Israel 
is sovereign over all the nations of the world, including Babylon, and all the armies of heaven and, uh, and of earth and are under the authority of the Lord for, to, for him to do as he desires. And he will do so by war and destruction. He will do this with the army of another evil nation, as we pointed out, and which is under the authority of Satan and the fallen angels. And Satan, remember, because he's the temporary God of this world, 2 Corinthians 4, 4, God is the sovereign authority over every nation and human army, as well as every angelic tribe and army, including those under the direction of the devil. We are in union with Christ. You are in a position of authority. You're the bride of Christ. Even the least of us, even the person is in apostasy in the church, is this tragedy about them that are in reversionism or apostasy or backsliding, whatever you want to call it. They're going on doing a 180, obeying God. The tragedy is they don't really realize what kind of authority and what kind of impact they could have. You're in union with Christ. Your prayers makes, make a difference. Do they make a difference? Does Jesus, is the Father listening to the Son? Does he answer the Son's prayers? Does he answer the, when the Son is, when the Son is interceding for us? He's our advocate with the Father, 1 John 2, 1. When Satan makes his accusations against us, which he does day and night, Revelation 12 tells us that. Does he listen to the Son? Does he listen to the Spirit, who in Romans 8, 26 and 27 is groaning when we can't, we don't know what to say to God? He's groaning in prayer to, what, for, to the Father. Does the Father answer the Spirit's prayers? Yes. If we pray according to the Spirit, is he going to answer our prayer? Yes. Don't you think that makes an impact? It does. You know, we're so apathetic in that country because of the politics and everything and because of the, of the, the Vietnam War and, and the assassinations and we got the Gulf Wars and we got Afghanistan and all this stuff and, and the, 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 the racial strife and all the, the garbage in the government and nobody believes the government. Wherever he has apathetic, we're so apathetic. We should never be that way. Yeah, the world's going to be like that. The devil's world, the nations are deceived by the devil, but I don't have to be apathetic. I can wake up in the morning and know I can make an impact just like Jesus and the apostles did. I can make an impact. I can be a part of the solution to the problem in the country. So you see, uh, the Holy Spirit's telling us, here's the problem, here's the solution. There's always a solution to every problem, and it all revolves around Jesus. History doesn't make any sense without him. So, so seeing that God, we'll close with this, God is a sovereign authority over every nation and human army as well as every angelic tribe and army, including those under the direction of the devil. In fact, as I can't wait to get to it. In Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 8 through 15, it's called the Great Warrior Psalm. It's a, it describes, verses 8 through 15 of Habakkuk chapter 3, describes the God of Israel, Jesus Christ, as the greatest warrior, greater than all the great generals of history, Patton, MacArthur, Caesar, Alexander the Great, Nebuchadnezzar, nobody stands next to him. Nobody can compare to him. He's incomparable. And he, is yet, he hasn't yet arrived on earth to wage war against his enemies and start the kingdom. But he's coming back with us. I can't wait to see that. I'll be like, yeah, this is so cool. I mean, I don't have to do it. They're going to be the, Satan and the fallen angels, they come and they're trying to get the world to go, okay, we're going to take the guns off each other and we're going to point them up there. So you got the armies of the East led by China and you got Antichrist, okay, and his armies during the tribulation and they're pointed at each other because the, the, the armies of the East led by China coming over the dried up Euphrates River, 
which is already drying up already. So they come in and they wage war in, in, in Palestine, in Israel. Excuse me. And then they're going to say, whoop, here he comes. And they're going to point the guns at him. Who's coming with him? His bride, the elect angels, the, the tribulational martyrs and resurrection bodies, Old Testament saints and resurrection bodies. We're going to light the planet up. The greatest light show of all time. The moon. Well, you won't need the light of the moon or the sun because we'll light the place up. And we're coming back and Jesus himself, he's going to do this. He's going to, with the word of his mouth, he will destroy nations and leaders like the Antichrist and the false prophet. There's a passage in Habakkuk 3 in this divine warrior psalm which it describes Jesus Christ killing the Antichrist himself, which I believe, as we'll see, will be down where we have Jordan today before he moves up into Israel and takes over. And there's a passage in Isaiah 63 that talks about the blood will be on Jesus' garments. And they'll say, what did you get? The, what are these, what's this blood on your garments, Lord? And he said, the blood of my enemies. Jesus is the Lamb of God. Now's the time to kiss, kiss the Savior by trusting in him. He, you want him to be your Savior rather than your judge. The language here in Habakkuk 2.13, which implies the impending judgment of Babylon by God is reminiscent of the language of Jeremiah 51.58, which also speaks of the impending judgment or destruction of Babylon. As it says in Jeremiah 31, uh, 51, excuse me, 58. This is what the Lord Almighty says. The Lord ruling over the armies. Adonai Savaot, Babylon's thick wall will be leveled and her high gates set on fire. All came to pass with the Medo-Persian army in 539 BC. The peoples exhaust themselves for nothing. The nation's labor is only fuel for the flames. Doesn't that sound like Habakkuk 2.13? You got a message coming from Jeremiah, and you have the message coming from Habakkuk. Before Jeremiah spoke this, by the way. The nations must give heed. The nations, including our own, Russia, China, America, all of them must give heed to what the Holy Spirit's teaching us in Scripture. He's announcing it through this pulpit and other pulpits around the world. Get ready. You better be, get yourself right with God through faith in Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time to study your word. We pray that this lesson be a blessing to your people, bringing glory to you and your son, Jesus Christ, We're ministering to them where they're at. Each person, I pray, will be spoken to individually and all of us as a corporate unit. And our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ's name, we pray. Your son, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen.